Let no one in any way deceive you. That's what he said to them. For it will not come. Well, what's the it? Uh, if you read the context as we did uh, the last time we were together, it's the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a technical term speaking of future events commencing with a period of extraordinary and unparalleled horror called the Great Tribulation. That's part of the day of the Lord. And, and Paul is saying, don't be deceived. It, the day of the Lord, inaugurated by the Great Tribulation, it's not going to come unless... And now he names two things that have to precede it. Here it is. The apostasy, that has to come first. And second, the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. He's the son of destruction. So the Thessalonians made the mistake I think some make today, and that is uh, they think something has to precede the rapture. Oh, no, 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 no. These two things have to precede the great tribulation, but nothing has to precede the rapture. And that's why we are supposed to be ready at all times, ready to take off. And by the way, even if you're not, don't worry, you're going to be seized. That's what the word meant. God's not going to wait for your approval. And if you say, thanks for coming, but I'm not ready right now, too bad, you're going. <laughs> Caught up with the Lord in the air. So, so we introduced this first thing, the apostasy which must precede the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. And you notice we pointed out, it doesn't say a apostasy, the definite article, as if this is a period of extraordinary falling away, a kind of a worldwide unified uh, concerted effort to be anti-God. We're not talking about just a little falling away, not showing up for church on Sunday. Oh, no. Uh, this is uh, 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 much more serious than that. So it's the apostasy. And something of this scale doesn't just happen spontaneously. It requires a rather effective, strong, and powerful, charismatic leader and so he has to be revealed. Uh, the apostle John called him the Antichrist, but here you notice Paul refers to him as the man of lawlessness. Some people misunderstand this to mean that when the Antichrist is revealed, it will be a period characterized by the absence of law. No, no, that's not what it means. In fact, there will be a proliferation of law, and you see it happening already. Good night. The worse we get, the more we try to legislate against it. Uh, but the law is not going to extinguish our defilement. So, so in the time of Antichrist, it's not that there won't be human law. There'll be plenty of it. What it means is that under the rule of the Antichrist, he and those who follow him will seek to cast off all restraints of God's law, of his moral standards. And so Antichrist, as we will see, Lord willing, in weeks to come, is going to lead a rather unified world governmental system characterized by lawlessness, but in the sense 
not of the absence of laws, but by the enactment of laws which are contrary to the moral character of God. Laws contrary to the moral character of God. There will be a proliferation of legislation in that day regarding the fundamental structure of society and the institutions which God has put in place. There will be a redefinition of God-ordained government as there is already coming to be a redefinition of God-ordained marriage and family. So this is not far-fetched stuff, is it? A legislation almost in every state um, with uh, the goal of legalizing same-gender uh, marital partnerships, those are already uh, very actively being considered and even on the books in some states. Now, folks, that is a redefinition of marriage. And in the same sense, there is already in our midst uh, an active engagement in redefining family. Laws already in some places make it illegal to spank your child. Now, you can do whatever you want, but here's what's problematic about that. God says, dads, if you withhold discipline, the rod, from your child, you hate your child. Now, I understand that that is hyperbole, so as to make a statement. Uh, I only want to persuade you God has a point of view on child rearing, which seems to be increasingly legislated against. Folks, oh, we won't see the absence of law, but we'll see a proliferation of anti-God law. Did you know people who preach and pastor and teach and do those things today in churches across our country, do you know they can be held uh, responsible for violating uh, the so-called hate laws, which are already on our books, if they simply communicate the biblical perspective, for instance, on homosexuality. Now, I hope we never attack, uh, demean, uh, put down, or hurt struggling ones, but that being the case, we cannot compromise on what God said. It is not an acceptable alternative lifestyle and I would love to be politically correct but I'd rather be spiritually correct and 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 do you know already pastors are bring, bringing uh, being brought up on violation of hate laws for preaching uh, for communicating what the Bible says about homosexuality and of course you know about the ongoing legal battle you see it all the time with regard to how we got here to begin with did we just evolve or were we created? Was there an intelligent designer to explain the rather intelligent design? But that's a live issue today. Of course, it's legal to teach evolution as if it's factual, even though it's still called the theory of evolution. And so uh, you'll see all kinds of uh, activity around that particular issue in the legal setting. And there's already, as you know, an active movement to legalize 
uh, the kind of uh, mind-altering drugs which surely will produce some sort of temporary um, benefit, but which I, I think you would agree that God would warn us against because of their addictive potential. So, I mean, you know, marijuana for so-called medicinal purposes. Do you know you can get marijuana in machines in California distributed just like you get a bag of peanuts or a candy bar? Now I realize California is the exception to the rule of most normal people, but still, <laughs> that's unbelievable to think that you can, you can do those sort of things. And already there's quite a movement in many quarters to legalize prostitution. Well, God legislates against that. It's not so much that he wants to cramp anyone's style. He loves the woman who is deceived into thinking. This is a good means of earning a wage. God knows every time that she, others, engage in relations such as this outside of the context of covenant marriage, you divide yourself up, you come apart, you give away a piece of yourself to every suitor. God's laws are not to cramp our style. He loves us. He wants to experience a joyous and full and healthy and an abundant life, but they're already... Uh, laws on the books that legalize prostitution in the state of Nevada and in other places. What about end-of-life laws? State of Oregon already has legalized youth, so-called euthanasia or mercy killing. You know, someone makes a decision that at a certain point a disease-ridden person or an elderly person has uh, lived the fullness of their life and they're sort of a burden on family and friends and on society and let's just... Get rid of them. But don't you see this flies in the face of God's standard of the sanctity of human life. And boy, I don't even want to bring up abortion, which we can't get away from, can we? Uh, this is contrary, don't you see, to the moral standards of God, and yet it's legal. It's been legalized. And Would you ever have believed that there would be laws in the United States of America legislating against things like terrible things like prayer and Bible study and use of the name Jesus. You can't even do that in so many settings in the United States of America. Now, this fills me with much dismay and yet at the same time much excitement. I don't think I'm schizophrenic or weird. I'm just dismay, of course, because this is so terrible, but excitement because this is so much what God told us was going to happen. You see? So it's all happening according to his word. And so there will be in that day an era of anti-God legislation advanced by the man of lawlessness, otherwise known as the anti-Christ. And notice this man of lawlessness is also referred to by Paul as the son of destruction. That has kind of a twofold implication. Number one, he's going to destroy Many, many, many people, but he is also destined uh, for his own destruction as we will look at one day. His destiny uh, is to spend eternity in torment in the lake characterized by fire. But how could it be? 
maybe you're wondering, that such a one as this could come into such an influential position. Folks, people are desperately hungry for solutions to the problems plaguing our world today. I actually believe that Antichrist could be some unknown guy who today is pumping gas and tomorrow leads a whole world movement. How long did it take for Adolf Hitler to come to power? We have certain people of notoriety on TV today who neither you nor I heard of just a few years ago. Not far-fetched at all. The world is desperately hungry for a viable new approach to the global problems, which, of course, we ourselves have created but won't take responsibility for. So all you got to do is have as your mantra, change, and people will vote for you. But I think a little question like, how do you propose to bring it about, is called for. But the world is so desperately hungry and so prone to be deceived and gullible, it doesn't matter. And so I can see how an anti-Christ, the personage, the evil one, the man of lawlessness, who is characterized by an endearing personality, an attractive nature, an articulate communication style and a charismatic leadership style, can quickly rise to the top. Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not far-fetched at all. And not only this, consider the rapture, which we spent a few weeks speaking about. Think about it. In an instant, boom, thousands of people will be gone. Have you thought about the ramifications of that? I don't think about it too much. I'm just mostly thinking about going. But for the others, wow, the impact. Think about it. Rather cataclysmic. The rapture is going to produce um, international chaos and panic, as you can understand. It will have severe ramifications for every nation of the world. Uh, governments, don't you see, will desperately be seeking to restore civil order and uh, to regain equilibrium. Uh, there will be profound shifts of power uh, on an international scale. Today's superpowers will likely not be superpowers Tomorrow, and so what about us, the United States of America? Well, I think at the rapture, we will be one of those countries who will lose the most people in key places because we still have a lot of Christians in this country in rather key places. And so suddenly at the rapture, don't you see, the United States will suffer the loss of sudden and dramatic control and disruption. And onto this chaotic world stage will step a man with a plan. And he will be remarkably well received by the nations of the world. He, in fact, will advance a peace plan. And he will successfully persuade the world's leaders that his plan will, in fact, bring order and peace to the entire world. 
and this persuasive and intensely likable world leader will arrive right on time, appearing as a knight in shining armor. I tell you, he will even have an answer to the problem in the Middle East, the seemingly unending and unsolvable conflict in the Middle East. Somehow he will succeed in selling his peace plan, not only to Israel, but also to Israel's aggressive adversarial neighbors. Wow. The Antichrist, energized by Satan, will present himself as a man of peace and yet is in fact, as the Bible says, the son of destruction. And he will present himself as a man of order, but he is in fact the man of lawlessness. And he will present himself for sure as a lamb, and yet he is in fact a wolf in sheep's clothing. Keep in mind, folks, after all, that this man is the anti-Christ. That means he is not the Christ. He is Satan's parody, uh, Satan's counterfeit of the real Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as Jesus was sent by the Father, so too Antichrist, you see, is sent by Satan. And as Jesus performed miracles, so too Antichrist will demonstrate his authority through signs and wonders. And as Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, uh, so too Antichrist will be the second person in an evil Trinity consisting of Satan and one known as the false prophet who we will speak about in time to come. And think about this. The Lord Jesus, as you know, the Bible tells us, in fact has two comings, or we call them two advents. I know you agree uh, they're very different in character, aren't they? At his first coming, at his first advent, you know, uh, the Lord Jesus came humble, did he not, uh, in fulfillment of prophecy, and mounted on a donkey, uh, the Bible tells us. Uh, this was his entry into Jerusalem on the day we call Palm Sunday, you know. But his second coming will not be like his first coming at all. We look forward to his second coming uh, don't we? But it will be much different. Uh, whereas he came the first time, you see, as the lamb, well, the second time he'll come as the lion. And whereas he came the first time to suffer and to die and to provide not a way, but the way to be at peace with Almighty God. When he comes again uh, the second time, he will come not to make peace, but to make war. He came the first time, you see, to provide uh, the means of forgiveness, but the second time he will come to provide judgment. Notice what John, the Apostle John, uh, saw. That's how he received it. Saw with regard to the Lord's second coming, and which he wrote down for us, his vision. He recorded it. It's called the Revelation, the Apocalypse. John saw it. He was on, in exile on an island, Patmos. It's in the Aegean Sea. You can go there today. We're not making this stuff up. So he, he received this vision of the Lord's second coming. It's recorded. I want to read it in more detail. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. John said, I saw heaven opened. 
And behold, a white horse, ah, no donkey anymore, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. What's his name? Of course, who else fulfills those prerequisites? And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. No army, don't you see, at his first coming. This one's different. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. He doesn't need to go nuclear. He just speaks and he deals with the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath. The word is orge. You don't think a holy God is upset with unholiness? He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. If you don't see the second coming of the Lord Jesus to be categorically different than his first coming, something's wrong with you. You see? And here's the point. At his first coming, the Lord Jesus came to make peace. At his second coming, he will come to make war. Such a distinctive difference in purposes in his advent. And so, since the man of lawlessness, here's my point, since the Antichrist, since the son of destruction, don't you see, since he's the counterfeit, the parity of the real item, since he's only the Antichrist, not the real Christ, he seeks to counterfeit. He cannot create. He doesn't have creative power. He seeks, therefore, to counterfeit what the real Christ has done. And so if the real Christ has two advents, the Antichrist will have two advents as well. And so at first, the Antichrist will come indeed as a man of peace. Uh, but I tell you, this is a masquerade. It is a charade. He is, in fact, as Paul described him, the son of destruction. And so he will at first succeed in persuading the world's godless and gullible leadership that he, in fact, has a solution to the world's problems. But soon after this, particularly three and a half years into the seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation, soon after he will show his true colors. And so his second advent, his second presentation, if you will, will be just as different and distinct as that of the Lord's. This masquerading man of peace will suddenly be revealed for who he is, a ravenous wolf bent on destruction. And we can track, therefore, look, let me play my hand. I don't know who the Antichrist is. So if you want like a money back refund, okay. I, I just don't know who it is. I, you know, one time a guy worked on my car I didn't like very much. And I really thought he had leanings that way. But I... I and if you tune in next week, 
I can tell you why I don't know who he is and why you better not know who he is either. I'll tell you next week. If, no, we gotta, it's next week because we got we to gotta get home and watch American Idol. <gasps> is Simon Cowell the Antichrist? <gasps> I just thought of this. Oh, no. I don't think. So I don't, I don't know who he is. Um, but, but here's the deal. He'll be revealed by his conduct. Don't worry. You, nobody is going to miss him when the time comes. So, so the point is now we can kind of track the career of the Antichrist by noticing how he imitates the career of the real Christ. So you can make these comparisons. But there's a big and fundamental difference, of course. You see, the Lord is a deliverer, but the anti-Lord is, is a destroyer. And, you know, we can learn a whole lot more about this last evil world leader uh, by simply examining the name by which he is most referred, the Antichrist. It's kind of a compound in the Greek. It's made up of a prefix, and then it defines the second part of the word. So the prefix for Antichrist in the Greek is anti, and it has two meanings. One is against, and the other is instead of. And so by this we can see and conclude that Satan, through his grandest creation, Antichrist, is not only against Christ, he also wants to be worshipped instead of Christ. And this has always been Satan's desire from before time, to be worshipped, not just as God, but instead of God. So Isaiah records the very motive of Satan way back in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Mm. That's his intent. To be against God and to be worshipped instead of God. And so one day uh, Satan will produce his masterpiece, his Antichrist, and he will succeed for a spell in leading the world away uh, from the true God so as to worship the false God, uh, Satan himself. Far-fetched? No. In fact, that's why Paul uh, told the Thessalonians and others in the day, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, if he said that 2,000 years ago, how much more is the mystery of lawlessness at work today? I'll tell you where the Antichrist is at work, right there on these goofy screens. <laughs> we cannot get the right thing up there. <laughs> so what is the mystery of lawlessness? I'll tell you next week in truth as we get together. But, but here's the deal. What are you going to do? You've got to do something. I mean, this is more important than homeowner's insurance. What, 
What is your plan? Could I reduce this complex life in which we live to two allegiances? You are either allied with the destroyer or you are allied with the deliverer. Let's not complicate things, okay? Well, the Antichrist wants you to be allied with him so he could destroy you. And the real Christ wants you to be allied with him so that he could save you. And what you need to be saved from, the fact that you broke God's law, you've sinned. You know what's interesting? That is like no problem for God. Your sin is no problem for God. He, he already provided a solution for it. That's, that's what I mean. He sent his son, the Christ, the deliverer, in your place to pay the penalty for your sin. And I love some of his last words. It is finished. It's illegal. It's, it's case dismissed. Case dismissed. God has a case against you. Surely you'll permit him that. You have violated his law. You're guilty as charged. But Jesus said, I paid. And the father said, gavel down, case dismissed. So that's why I say your sin and violation of God's holy laws in mind. That's not the problem. It's our refusal to take advantage of it. I don't, I get it. It's this terrible pride thing, isn't it? You know what it is? It's the spirit of Antichrist already at work. It's the spirit of Antichrist that says, I can ascend. I can rise above. I'm not a debtor. I'm not impoverished. I can overcome my nature, and I don't need outside help. Wow, you just sound like Isaiah 14 to me. That's the spirit of Antichrist already. Ascend, ascend, ascend. You know what the spirit of truth is? Descend. Go low, not high. Bow down. Open up your clenched fist. Open your palm and say, Oh, God, I have nothing to offer but neediness. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you deliver me? Would you adopt me into your family? Would you save me now from the penalty of my sin and then from the clutches of the Antichrist? What's your plan? If it isn't to establish by faith an allegiance with the deliverer, then by default you will be in allegiance with the destroyer. Don't make life more complicated than that. I want to... Whose side are you on? Democrat, Republican, you know what that means in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. On Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We sang it earlier. Would you stand with me and sing that and... um, If you have not accepted 
Christ as your personal deliverer from sin and all else that assails you. Could you just listen as we sing this? (laughs) And then maybe you'll choose to chime in. (laughs) Because in the privacy and recesses of your own heart and mind, maybe you'll say, oh, God, I get it. You came to get me. I've been running away. Now I run toward you. Deliver me. Oh, great deliverer, save me, I'm a sinner. Change me, sever any temptation and inclination I might have to be in allegiance with a destroyer when in fact I can be sold out for you, deliverer. Then you'll, I don't know all that's going to befall us. Again, just mountain peaks prominent features, but wouldn't it be great to be able to leave this place knowing, ah, it doesn't matter what, because on Christ the solid rock I stand. Listen, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground sinking sand is Lord Jesus, would you go through this place as you're prone to do and willing to do, searching us out in our hearts and seeing if there be any eternally hurtful way in us. And would you so affect uh, the one, the two, the three, the more who hitherto has been closed to you so that he, she would open wide and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Let me go home with you tonight and walk with you now and forevermore. Rescue me from the penalty of my sin and its horrible hold in my life. Save me from the Antichrist to come. In fact, take me home to be with you, thus not having even to endure the horrors of this future day of Antichrist. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Make me your son, your daughter today. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you've prayed that prayer, it's not quite.